Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. It is the close of the market on Tuesday, August 25th, recording this at about 5 p.m. Salesforce just crushed earnings, by the way. But SPY trading at 344.12, up 35 bips on the day. Been quite a run for the market. Uh, We have the impervious, as always, on the show for a little Tuesday market talk. How's it going, buddy? Rocking and rolling on a Tuesday after total snooze fest the last couple weeks or, you know, maybe some real exciting weeks in the world of Ben. Uh, We got some price action going on. Yeah, I'm feeling the market heating up a little bit. Uh, We'll get to all of that. Let's review our ongoing $100 bet. You have Triple Q, NASDAQ 100. I have BRKB, uh, Warren Buffett's golden child. So uh, I am up 16.8%. Again, awesome return. Happy about that. I own Berkshire in real life. The market is up 21.7%. This is all since May 1st. And you have the most stunning return for a little bit over, I guess we're at three months now. Uh, that I've seen in quite a while for just owning an index, you are up 34.4%. Uh, just a monstrous return on the keys. Anybody would be happy to have that in real life. So uh, I keep chasing you, but again, even uh, 16, 17% returns are not good enough uh, to catch the impervious. So I know you're, you're, you're kind of short the keys in real life, but in this bet, they're working out quite well for you. Well, 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 I had had been shoot short the cues, but if there's anything we've learned at this point, it's that if things are selling off, panic by tech. If things are up, panic by tech. So there's really not a time or place where people won't buy tech. And uh, that seems to be, at this point, somehow the safest thing you can do with your money, which, reminder, this is not financial advice, uh, entertainment purposes only, of course. Yes, as always, neither of us are financial advisors. We both have no idea what we're doing, but we do love to talk about the market. Uh, and let's, let's do that. So last week, I mean, as you said, it was a bit of a snooze fest, but the market keeps ticking up. I mean, Apple specifically, I didn't think we'd see it hit 500 this year. Um, across that barrier, we saw Facebook hit close to an all-time high today, as I mentioned at the beginning of the call. Salesforce after hours, after just a killing killer quarter um, up about 12%. And I think the other thing that kind of caught me off guard is I think four or five IPOs, um, you know, some of the, I don't think I can name all of them offhand, but, uh, you know, Asana, Palantir, Snowflake, which I looked a bit at the S1, really like the business. Um, I've used them at a few companies I've been at. Um, Airbnb, talking about going public. There's just a whole lot of names that um, want to be public companies and are, are going to be public companies in the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, that, that to me suggests there's uh, among businesses, the idea is that the market is, is kind, you know, you want to sell equity right now. So that's why a lot of people are going public. So I don't know, it feels, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I was quite old enough to remember 1998, 99, but this does feel like some of the most crazy 
times uh, I've been around for tech stocks in the market. So uh, pretty, pretty crazy to watch. Oh, yeah. In addition to all that, there's more SPACs coming to you than you can shake a stick at. So get ready for more ultra speculation. Uh, but yeah, so the last last week had been pretty much a bit of a snooze fest, which is fine with me because I was on vacation, but of course still uh, glancing at the watch list whenever possible. Um, but just the market continues to grind higher. Uh, we actually saw the lowest volume day last Monday uh, that we'd seen since 2006. And all around, the volume had been down except towards the end of the week where the volume is actually up. And despite the market ending up, uh, we saw a net uh, selling volume on the day. So that increase in volume actually came from more selling. And so last week was, on the one hand, the market grinding higher, but kind of a mess with, with market internals. Because um, this is the first, or rather second week since 1995, where there are three separate days of negative advanced decline and positive SPX closes. And the last time the SPX rallied 0.3% and saw this many net decliners was on March 17th, 2000. So a lot of great uh, remember this day type facts coming at you right now. So despite those weak internals closing the week at an all-time high, uh, coming into this week, um, we, we did finally see some strong direction, obviously, to the upside. And a few notes just I want to share that have almost been a little bit invalidated just for the sake of the contrarian point to it's just going to keep grinding higher stonks only go up is that in addition to those weak internals, um, we saw dicks continuing to be low, um, just hovering around 40%. And also the gamut exposure last week, which in the world of options, high gamut exposure means that basically whenever someone buys or sells a call option, market makers have to buy or sell the opposite option uh, to hedge against that. But when you have a very high gamma exposure, it just means it's very unlikely that price will move very far in either direction because the amount of hedging required by market makers uh, is pretty significant. Um, so with that being pretty much the highest it's been in several months, uh, last Wednesday and Thursday, uh, you weren't expecting much move anyways, just sort of uh, a choppy move upwards. But a lot of that got flushed out uh, after Friday, primarily with tech. So basically what that means is that the, the spigot is open and coming into this week expecting uh, at least some more volatility or just a, a stronger move in either direction doesn't necessarily imply a move up or move down. So with that strong move Monday up into the 340 range and uh, the SPY, the S&P 500 ETF closed today at 344.12. So we're clearly well above uh, that number we closed that Friday and the direction has been firmly established is up with no no even sign of any desire for selling to, to go on. So we're going to continue to grind higher, but you know, VIX is still finding support in and around uh, with the VXX about 24. Uh, hasn't fully been flushed and hasn't fully closed that gap uh, that still remains around 15 or 17. And also one thing to watch that I've been paying close attention to is the dollar. And with the DXY closing the third week in a row above 93, uh, indicates there might be a short-term bottom that's been found. And one more thing to add, commercial traders are now net long dollars, which uh, since the dollar spike back in March, the shorting the dollar had sort of been one of the, the biggest consensus shorts. Um, but this is a, a big reversal of that position. And these things can take a bit to shake out, but 
there's a lot to indicate that dollar bulls um, are about to show some life. And so why is that significant? Well, when stock price, as it is right now, is so heavily dictated by fiscal and monetary policy, uh, what you're seeing with stock prices continuing to move up, clearly without any additional production, really, um, the economy is still basically at a standstill. We saw jobless numbers coming up last week, a pretty bad beat that the market just shrugged off, basically didn't even notice. Um, equities are going to continue to grind higher because of inflation as the Fed continues printing more and more money. So result of that is you pay an inflation tax by holding on to cash. And the only way to protect yourself against that is to put your money in the market, which is exactly what the Fed wants you to do. Um, so if the dollar were to start gaining strength, that would directly affect both the price of equities and precious metals like gold and silver. We've talked about uh, plenty before. Uh, so you could definitely expect there to be some, if not a significant effect on prices if the dollar were to have a strong rebound uh, and potentially start squeezing on any of those remaining shorts. Um, that are still in their positions. Um, so as of today, it looks like the dollar's retreating back into its hole, just hovering around 93, but it had bounced up to about 93.50, showing some signs of life before just saying, nah, you know what, I think I'm just going to let the market, you know, keep grinding higher. And, you know, you said you never thought you'd see this many all-time highs. There's a lot of things that happened in 2020 that you never thought you would see. So where are we now and where are we going forward? You know, if, if you were out there last week, um, like potentially one of the occasional co-hosts of this show calling top, I got news for you. Wrong. So we still have quite a bit to go here. I think we are just entering the blow-off top phase of this market, um, definitely as evidenced by Apple and Tesla basically single-handedly carrying the market at the end of last week. When you've got these huge market cap stocks with massive uh, exposure in all of the indexes and ETFs, just a good day on those two tickers uh, will create such a big impact that it really doesn't matter what's happening in the rest of the market. Thus, you know, the green days on Thursday and Friday. So it looks like we're not going to be seeing any selling anytime soon. Just a continued rotation, as I kind of mentioned for the last few weeks, between the same uh, mega cap tech stocks and really just once one is hitting an all-time high and cools off, you're not going to see any rotation, just a little profit taking. And then all that's going to go pump the next stock, whether it's Microsoft uh, or any of those big tech names. So the, the top is most certainly not in, but that doesn't mean, you know, you shouldn't be hedging and that there isn't some downside risk, especially with the amount of hedging going on in the dark pools based on that low Dix number. Um, but at this point, it seems like the market really only cares about hitting big round numbers like with Tesla 2000 and Apple 500. So the next big round number for SPY is 350, and that will almost certainly trade, uh, if not this week, next week. Um, but that doesn't mean that there isn't still a massive downside risk and high amount of volatility sitting out in September, and especially once you get closer to the election with a huge spike in October. So for the time being, enjoy the jam sesh because I think we still got some, some room to run here. Um, but it doesn't hurt to hold a hedge just in case. But keep an eye on the uh, dollar, the DXY, as well as VIX, just for any indication there that the uh, party might be coming to a brief end before it can resume. Yeah, qu quick macro thoughts here. I mean, it's interesting to see the dollar kind of make a comeback. I, I think on Thursday, Jerome Powell, uh, Fed chairman, is giving a talk where he's expected to say 
that uh, monetary policy is going to be fairly accommodative for the next couple of years, at least, and they might actually increase their inflation target um, to kind of give the Fed some more levers they can pull um, just to add some inflation to the economy. I mean, do you think what he says Thursday will have any impact uh, on the stock market or is that kind of all priced in at this point? Well, I, I don't think that the uh, Jay Powell inflation spectacular is really going to give the market anything new. But based on how the market reacts to really any time he speaks or any time a new number comes out, if it's bad, they just ignore it. If there is even a kernel of positivity to be found in there, the market will certainly pump on that. So I don't think we're going to learn anything new on Thursday that wasn't already uh, disclosed in the FOMC minutes. Um, and I would imagine they're probably trying to save any juicy morsels for the next FOMC minutes. But you know, all we're going to hear is that he's not even thinking about thinking about thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. Uh, no bond yield caps, just the same uh, speaking points that they've, they've had. But it seems like at least at this point, the market's really waiting for some update there. Uh, even though I think you know it's already been priced in what they're going to hear, so Jerome Powell is not going to say anything that would, in any ways, negatively affect the market. But I think that um, playing on a big pump or uh, I don't know negative interest rates, doubtful, uh, is is going to come out. So really, not not much to to rock the boat. But uh, if there is any selling coming Wednesday. You can pretty much count on some type of bounce Thursday, since that seems to be a nice day for numbers coming out Thursday and Friday. Yep. Uh, little topic change. I did want to talk about these splits because Apple and Tesla both coming live with their adjusted price, uh, just splitting one share into multiple shares to make it more accessible for retail investors. Uh, that's always kind of baffled me because you can buy fractional shares on pretty much any platform now. I've never bought stock and thought in terms of number of shares. Uh, I always am just thinking of a dollar amount to allocate. Uh, it's interesting to me that people think this is the next leg up for Tesla um, and for Apple and that Amazon might do it. I mean, we're getting to the point where you might even see, uh, not that ETFs can split, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a spy split in the future under the belief that uh, you know 350 is too expensive for the retail investor. Do you, do you actually think this has any impact on the market? Um, what are your thoughts on splits in general? I mean, it's it's absolutely arbitrary. There's no material impact on the fundamentals or anything other than just the number that shows up for the ticker. You know, the overall market cap is not affected, but clearly it has an effect on trading based on how gangbusters Tesla and Apple have been going uh, ostensibly on the announcement of the split. Obviously, uh, Apple had a great quarter and Tesla... Uh, showed something that I guess resembles a profit and is expected to be included in the S&P 500, but further pump has definitely come from the split. So at this point, I mean, imagine what would happen if Amazon announced a split. That'd be good for probably another 20, 30 points in, you know, aftermarket trading on uh, the S&P 500. And there's really, at this point, nothing to stop anyone whose ticker is trading at above $200 from splitting their stock clearly based on how, how, how much the appetite is um, amongst traders for, uh, I guess, a split. But the logic appears to be that once the stock is split, that will mean a lot of new buyers. Because it's cheaper, there will be people that are now buying at a cheaper price. Um, however, this logic assumes that someone is dumber than you who's trading on that, uh, who's just buying it because a split has happened. 
I mean, more likely we'll either see them sell off right before or right after uh, with a significant amount of profit taking and everyone um, buying the rumors, selling the news on that particular move. But there is no material impact. That's just the nature of the market we are in right now where there isn't really much of an effect on productivity or innovation other than stimulus or uh, any type of other, you know, stock market chicanery here. So um, look out for more stock splits. That's absolutely going to be coming, but also understand that this doesn't in any way have a material impact on um, a, a company's profitability or uh, ability to continue growing. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, for companies I own, I always prefer the split to the reverse split. The reverse split usually forecasts that something shady is in the works. As an aside, VXX has reverse split a ton of times just because, in my opinion, that ETF is geared to go down. But on the reverse side, like something like Apple, I think you know, since the 90s has now split four or five times. I mean, it's just kind of a sign of a spectacular stock. So I don't think this will be Apple or, uh, dare I say it, I don't think this will be Tesla's last uh, split forever. So expect to see more of those in the future. I think they're both great companies. But one, one thing to add there, you know, it's, it's not uh, a trivial change though, because actually with Apple splitting uh, resulted in a pretty interesting shakeup here in the Dow Jones with uh, Apple, who was included in 2015, uh, now having a small price because the Dow Jones Industrial Average is weighted by price and not market cap like the S&P 500. Uh, that meant a bit of a shakeup in terms of the mix. So interestingly enough, Exxon is out, a company who has been uh, profitable, pays the dividends, obviously old business. So no one is interested in that type of, uh, of company. But the shakeup, even though it's uh, a bit of... Um, you know, hand waving as far as just needing to make changes for what uh, the Apple share price has done to their their balance. It, it is an interesting look at sort of how the landscape of um, American corporations and what's viewed as being sort of the, the best cross section of American business has uh, morphed into this particular version. So also adding that Honeywell was added, Raytheon taken off. Um, and also Salesforce added and Amgen added. So pretty big shakeup just because apparently Apple split. Yeah, I feel like there were a lot of kind of swan song editorials about what happened in the Dow Jones index this week uh, or whatever when it was announced. Um, you know, the Salesforce for Exxon swap, you know, in my opinion, Salesforce is just a better company, better business model. I mean, I think Exxon's been in secular decline for years, nothing against it. It's paid a nice dividend. It, it definitely has missed stock. Historically, it's performed quite well, not knocking management at all. Uh, but at the same time, like this is kind of where the economy is headed. Um, in terms of consequences for trading on a weekly or yearly or whatever basis for your portfolio, I mean, I think a lot of hedge fund managers, money managers, you know, guys who do this for a living, ultimately they have to index to something like the Dow Jones or uh, SPY. And as that becomes more weighted towards tech, um, you know, it's you're holding tech, or you're holding something else. And if you're a fund manager, you got to perform as well as the indexes perform. So it, it creates this interesting scenario where, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. So like, obviously, tech is a pretty crowded trade right now. But if, if you're a fund manager trying to be contrarian, you're just getting slaughtered right now, like value and anything that hasn't uh, been tech has had a really hard time. So I think we're going to see probably more tech companies join uh, the S&P and join the Dow. And, uh, you know, as a retail investor or just someone who passively indexes, like you're heavily exposed to tech and that's been a great thing, but 
it also worries me in the future if we see uh, investors focusing more on profits than on future growth potential. Because at that point, I could see a 1999 like reckoning and everybody gets hurt and something like that. Um, so yeah, at this point, I'm just rambling, but um, it does feel like the market is very, very exposed to kind of this tech bubble. Obviously, it's not the same as the the late 90s, you know, a lot of these profits, a lot of these companies have fantastic business models. I mean, all you need to do is look at uh, what Salesforce reported after hours today. Um, I, I think a lot of the companies I've been looking at earnings for, it's all, you know, 70% gross profit margins, 30, 40% EBITDA margins, ex- incredible growth. I mean, there's nothing that you can really cherry pick and say, well, they, they failed in this particular aspect of the business. But yeah, good times come to an end. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how all this will pan out, but I do think that when you, you hear Alan Greenspan, you know, a while ago talk about irrational exuberance and uh, kind of low interest rates driving crazy behavior in the market, uh, tech has run up a ton. And, and it, as great as these companies have done, the valuations feel a little bit ahead of where the uh, the actual growth is. So that's my two cents. I mean, I'm not selling anything, but I, I do expect a correction at uh, some point in the future, just like you do. Yeah, and the the truth is that correction seems even further away than it had in the last few months, where I think the the bears still had some some hopes before being skinned and filleted uh, at the the altar of Elon and, and just about every other tech stock. But you know, there there is it was a bit of an assumption that there there might be some rotation into uh, value with banks and the XLF coming a bit alive on Monday. Uh, energy showing some signs of life. But instead, on Tuesday today, we just saw everyone flee right back to their favorite tickers, uh, Big Day and Cloud uh, with Fastly um, uh, closing up above 90 to $6 a day, pretty big day. Uh, and just across the board, even DraftKings now is sitting at $39, despite you know the, the harsh words I had for, for DraftKings just goes around and proves, proves me wrong having almost a 10% day out there. So really, there's not much to indicate that there is going to be money going anywhere else but into tech. And even if the buying is down, no one is selling. Everyone is waiting to see what happens here. And so that catalyst, you know, we had talked about China. It looks like the phase one trade deal is going through. So we're seeing Chinese stocks booming today. That's even less of a concern now. And obviously the only big one at this point uh, would be the election. And it's basically a foregone conclusion stimulus is coming, even though there hasn't really been any progress at that point. Uh, And the market doesn't seem to really care. So the, the strategy moving forward here is, and it's, it's, it's kind of funny to think that a lot of people use the earnings multiples from the dot-com bubble as sort of a cautionary tale, uh, but it's looking more in like that's, that's more of a market target here. That's a, an upper uh, resistance that the market is working towards, which is kind of horrifying. And at least in the dot-com bubble, this is on the, the back of a new innovative uh, technology, the internet, um, that truly did revolutionize business and how things are done and the nature of commerce. And this particular speculative bubble has nothing resembling that type of uh, groundbreaking change to production. You know, again, it is just a matter of fiscal and monetary uh, policy. So for the time being, you know, the, the best strategy is to continue going into tech. But I think we're at a point where the result of all of the inflation is going to really make precious metals, gold and silver, which had been beaten down. And now I'd say they're really consolidating. And based on how, you know, they haven't sold off nearly as much as one would expect based on how hot they've been running with uh, 
the GLD uh, gold ETF closing about 181 and the SLV silver ETF closing at 2475. Uh, that's still well above the prices going into July. So there's no reason to think that we'll be seeing a sharp drop off in the, the price of gold and silver in the immediate future. In fact, um, I think there's a great trade to be made with silver uh, with comics uh, expiration coming up at the end of this week. There is a major net short on contracts, which basically means if there is requested delivery for physical silver, uh, which it sounds like there will be, um, then there will be a net short. And so the market makers there will be scrambling to either drive the price down or uh, will have to buy a number of contracts themselves. So either way, there's definitely some upside in the very, very immediate term future for silver specifically. Um, but the same mechanism that's driving stock prices up is going to drive up silver and gold. And even though these uh, don't have a yield, you know, it's different than a business, they are a store of value. And as the currency continues to get debased in an attempt to keep equity prices high, you know, that's still going to be the play moving forward. So if you haven't dipped your toe in yet, I think we're getting to the point, especially with the dollar uh, looking like it's retreating back down to, you know, take up a big position. Yet again, gold miners represent uh, the most value in that space. So if you're looking for value at this point in time, um, gold miners are definitely a lot safer places to go uh, than, you know, some of your, your old, old timey industrial type stocks. So with, with the week ahead, a, a couple particular tickers, um, that I'm looking at particularly. So Apple hitting its big round number at 500, it'll probably hover around there for, uh, the foreseeable future until the split Facebook having a huge day with a new all time high is a big round number sitting right above where it closed today. Uh, so the $300 target seems just like a big arbitrary number, uh, for investors to pile into and for, uh, there to be an insane volume of, um, out of the money calls, which uh, something that does help a, a ticker squeeze. So um, saw $3.2 billion of dark pool prints on Facebook today. So that means there's a lot of buying going on there. So we'll continue to see that price go up. Microsoft also having a big day. So that'll give Tesla and Apple enough time for their next leg up whenever that eventually happens. But all the cloud standbys like Fastly, um, even some of the uh, other e-commerce stocks like uh, Overstock, OSTK, uh, cooled off a bit. I opened up a little debit spread uh, right around 108 today, closed um, just below 113. And also Jumia, um, an e-commerce platform for Africa, uh, which had gone gangbusters, sold off going into earnings, uh, made a big move up today above $10. So saw a ton of action on the $11 call weekly there. Premiums are still high, but with a uh, debit spread, you can take some of the cost down, take some of the risk off the table, even though you limit your upside there. So premiums massive on a lot of these stocks that have run up a ton and will continue running up as we uh, enter and fully lift off into this blast off top. Um, that's a good way to sort of hedge a little bit of risk, um, dipping your toe into some of these plays uh, without having to sort of sit on the sidelines knowing as ridiculous as this uh, price action may be. Um, it's better to try and make money here instead of trying to fight it. Yeah, I think uh, one quick aside on Facebook uh, as it kind of nears in on this all-time high. Um, you know, I, I, I hesitate to tell people this in real life. I guess the podcast world is kind of a, a fantasy world you and I live in. Uh, but I am a Facebook shareholder. I, uh, I think it's a great company despite some of the things that have happened over the, the course of the company's history. 
and the story of the stock really is one where everyone has thought it's going to get railroaded by regulation, uh, by irrelevance. I mean, ever since the IPO, there's been discussion about there will be a new social network that dethrones it, whether it's Snapchat or TikTok or whoever. Uh, and, you know, they've, Zuckerberg has made great acquisition after great acquisition. Um, and despite, you know, posting a ton of great quarters, there have been plenty of times where the stock has traded, you know, less than 20 times forward earnings, um, has kind of been rated as, as this slow mover with uh, not a great future, uh, especially after Cambridge Analytica and kind of the, the host of regulatory issues popped up. But to watch this run of it, I do think it's justified. Uh, kind of as a quick anecdote, you know, I, I've, on Twitter, I've seen people posting uh, the new kind of update to Instagram. So retailers uh, can use Instagram to generate these barcodes, um, a particular post, and then the barcodes can be used to make transactions. Um, just one of the, a number of things that Facebook has done to kind of respin itself as kind of this e-commerce platform. Um, it's done deals with Shopify, um, also has like Facebook Marketplace is obviously a, a super popular platform. Um, that a lot of people list on and it's pretty seamless more so than Craigslist or kind of other alternatives you might use. Um, so I, I kind of see Facebook re-rating as an e-commerce platform. Um, I mean, they, there's a whole bunch of potential it has and I think it's going to move uh, in addition to social um, to kind of this platform of economic activity uh, where Instagram is the most valuable piece. So as a shareholder, we're really excited and I think uh, it actually has a lot of room to run. Uh, so those are that's my two cents on Facebook. Um, but yeah, some interesting moves for the week ahead. Um, you know, you did mention a little bit about like sector rotation and silver and gold. Um, and you know, I think in terms of asset classes, you could kind of divide it into like precious metals, tech, everything that's not tech, um, bonds, and then I suppose crypto is another one. Um, looking at the week ahead, um, obviously we're already on Tuesday, so we only have a couple more days, but. Like when you see this type of activity, do you ever think it indicates that there's some asset allocation shift happening or is it always kind of random, like you said, where one day it looks like banks are catching a bid and then the next day right back to cloud stocks? Well, to, to me, it's, it's more market amnesia than anything in terms of what was the, the hot play a month ago is the hot play again. So as far as outflows, you can definitely see it in certain sectors, but it's more profit taking to me than real uh, honest sector rotation. I mean, one sector to watch, biopharma. I mean, we're only uh, however many days away from another vaccine pump or announcement that definitely uh, helps that particular sector. And again, if you look at what the overall weighting is with the major indexes like the S&P 500, it's uh, majority tech and um, biotech and pharma. So that is a space that really I think um, where you can find some value, even though those are much more volatile, a little harder to uh, to to anticipate big moves both up and down on some of those tickers like Moderna um, or Gilead. That's that's a space that you know once tech cools down, you'll see money rotate into pharma. But I don't really see tech cooling down as much as. Uh, they take turns blasting off to new, new all-time highs, blowing off uh, that all-time high, and then eventually just cooling off a little bit while money rotates into the next stock. So you're going to continue to see energy and financials probably just hover around the same range, uh, have a few nice days, and then just retreat back to the mean. Uh, and the market will just continue to flatline because, you know, again, there, there isn't really 
additional productivity. I mean, the, the number of stories about the difference between Main Street and Wall Street uh, is only ramping up by the day. Um, so we saw today the consumer confidence index is down. Uh, and even though home building is up 25% in July, the cost of lumber is skyrocketing, um, as with all of the commodities, um, especially if you've been trading corn anytime recently, um, which, you know, fall into sort of the same category as precious metals and are affected by those same mechanisms. And we are, are seeing an increase in mortgage delinquencies, also the highest since it's been in two, since 2009, but with a moratorium on uh, evictions and also forbearance. Um, protection extending out up to a year in, in certain cases, you're not going to actually see um, any, any follow through on those mortgage delinquen delinquencies for, for some time here. Uh, I think that definitely goes by the wayside once it's no longer a bargaining chip in, in the election. Um, but there's not really anything new to be added in the market, but there's going to be more money coming into the market just because there's nowhere else for it to go. So it's going to go to the same places. It's hard for the competitive landscape to change, especially when so many garbage companies are being kept afloat uh, with COVID being a convenient uh, a way to at least either get funding uh, or excuse just previous poor performance that already existed before COVID. So until there can be some type of uh, creative destruction and allowing the market to really choose the winners and the losers, um, everyone's going to end up being a winner except the dollar, uh, which will continue to be, be more and more worthless and debased as um, prices inflate. But um, a, a true sector rotation is, is not really part of the current um, uh, blueprint that we have for the market, which just means that you know, the same handful of stocks pump even higher and consolidate more uh, while occasionally throwing bones elsewhere. So uh, I think it would almost be contrarian at this point to be making a big bet on some of those plays like the, the finance, energy, or industrial space. Um, and, you know, at least at this point, there's nothing, nothing to think that the uh, all-time highs can't continue to go higher in the same stocks versus, you know, that rotation that you're looking for. Yeah, I think you nailed it when you said uh, the money really has nowhere else to go. I mean, it still amazes me that yields are as low as they are, um, right? Like, you know, you, you have, it'd be problematic to try to get more than 1% on a savings account. Um, you have companies that could issue in the negatives in Europe um, for bonds, you know, AAA companies and obviously countries as well. Um, so, you know, yields are zero. Uh, this is the zero interest rate environment. And I think this is going to be the story for a while looking forward. So, you know, what it does is inflate the stock market. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I do think financials, utilities, real estate, you know, some of these look like maybe they could catch a bit or, or maybe there's some value names you could invest in, but even those feel a little toppy. So, you know, I wonder maybe they're worth a buy next time we see uh, a correction. Um, and sometimes I do even think about like a couple of years out, you know, five years down the line, is COVID even a thing we're talking about? Or are there any kind of residual effects of COVID? If the answer to that is no, like you certainly would expect banks to be a lot higher five years from now than they are now. Uh, same with some of the other beaten down sectors. But I guess in the immediate term, like the market seems to be pricing in a, a very nice V-shaped recovery. So as we talked about in this pod a lot, like I think the whole situation is very fragile you know, all I can do is dollar cost average, but like, I, I don't like some of the prices I'm buying the market at right now. Well, so you, you, I don't think in five years, COVID, the disease, you know, will have residual effects. However, the response to uh, COVID and the COVID shutdown basically 
printing tons of money, incentivizing workers to uh, be unemployed instead of accepting low-wage labor type positions uh, is going to have massive effects for, for many, many years. And you need not look any further than Japan in the early 90s, uh, who tried to basically inflate their way out of massive debt and essentially uh, has been running flat for more or less the last 30 years. And so that's, that's the risk we run of stagflation, where, again, with no productivity being added, you know, there's going to be supply chain shortages, there's going to be additional uh, demand with all the money out there for basic commodities, you know, as you're seeing with, again, corn and uh, lumber. And so those are going to continue getting more and more expensive. And so that's going to really change sort of the, the consumer appetite for things like iPhones and everything else is those continue to get more and more expensive, but really it becomes harder to afford um, the basic staples of life. So- I think this is really hard to forecast. I mean, irrespective of the outcome of the election, um, I think the only option the United States has is to grow itself out of the debt or you know, kind of pursue this path of large projects or having the money go somewhere. So we avoid either like a massive deflationary spiral or just a no growth scenario where unemployment remains elevated. So I I totally expect whatever party uh, takes office after this election is going to pursue some type of massive stimulus project, be it infrastructure or any number of things where you can put people to work. Um, So I do expect monetary and fiscal policy to be pretty accommodative. And and generally, when that's the case, like I do think stocks do well. Um, So I I mean, I'm always the bullish guy on this podcast, but I, I think my five, 10 year outlook uh, remains pretty bullish just because I think our country always does whatever it has to do in order to stimulate growth. And, and everyone's very aware of the Japan scenario, right? Like that was Bernanke's big reason for saving the banks and for QE infinity. And Powell kind of is definitely cut from the same cloth. I actually think the Fed learned a pretty valuable lesson from 08, 09 um, that you really have to kind of just backstop the market. You know, the people call it the Fed put for a reason. Um, so yeah, don't fight the Fed. And uh, I think when we do this podcast in five years, hopefully I ended up being right because you know, my portfolio is geared to be pretty long. Uh, probably should be holding more cash, but I, I do think the outlook for stocks is good. Well, l- let me point out, I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm bullish as well. There's absolutely no reason to you know, be bearish on this particular market. But that doesn't mean that I think that's a good thing. I mean, the, when it comes to trading, you got to understand what the profitable thing is when you're, you're treating your trading like a business. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I agree with it or think that it's a good thing. But also, you can't really fight it. So, you know, stock prices are going up, but that, that is something the public should realize is actually probably a very bad thing considering the uh, disconnect between, you know, as we keep hearing uh, equity prices and the reality of what's going on. So, um, the actual uh, blowback from all that is a bit in the future. So we get to continue eating candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner as far as the uh, market's concerned. Um, and when, when we get a bellyache from eating all that candy, we'll just get fed even more candy. And at some point, you know, maybe we'll uh, figure out that that was too much candy, but it'll be far too late at that point. Yeah, it doesn't uh, necessarily inspire the most confidence. I also think like, the Japan corollary, what a lot of people forget is like the Japanese own a lot of their own debt. So there's not necessarily that overhanging threat of your debt uh, being mispriced and then, uh, you know, potential default on the table. Uh, But anyways, you know, enough uh, very cynical talk from now. 
we could hop into some uh, DFS for stocks, or if you have more picks, we can do that. Uh, what direction do you want to go? Yeah, let's dive into our picks for the week ahead in our uh, little candy trades game here. Sure. Let, let's do a quick review. I did post this on Twitter, but I think it's worth talking about. So um, you ended up, well, actually, uh, you know, longtime listener Mike B, congratulations on his victory. Uh, he was first on the strength of some of the semis. Uh, good job on NVIDIA and AMD. Um, you were second. Um, you had some good picks. You also had NVIDIA, uh, good for a 10%-ish return. But uh, I was a little baffled by your TJX long, which ended up costing you a victory here. Um, so what, were your, what was your motivation last week for uh, taking that TJ Max long position? So with TJX there, uh, I saw a lot of calls come through in the uh, call flow, quite a bit of short interest. So I was looking for a short squeeze. And, uh, you know, fortunately, the nice thing about this game, you don't actually have any money on the line. You don't get as beaten up. But uh, when, when those plays come across, you got to swing for the fences. But sometimes the fences swing back at you. I like that. I might start using that phrase. Um, yeah, on my end, um, I was in last place. Still good for a 5% return, though. Uh, what ended up killing me was my Wells Fargo long. I've been long the banks way too long, and they burned me way too many times. Did have some nice wins on Workday, PayPal, and Square. Uh, Square, I think I've stolen from you. I, I like the long thesis there. Uh, but anyways, that was the week that was. The week that is to come, uh, you put together some nice picks, so let's hear your thinking um, for your lineup this week. Yeah, so I saw you had a couple of banks on there, and when we put these together before banks decided that they'd just rather sit this rally out and, and not do anything, uh, I thought I would take some of the investment banks, which I think are a little bit better play right now um, than your preference for uh, the Buffett banks there of Wells Fargo and Bank of America, even though he did divest a lot of his bank positions. Uh, too much exposure there to consumer debt, obviously. Uh, consumers aren't paying their bills. They're spending that on uh, iPhones and uh, whatever they're getting on Etsy. Um, so the investment banks, given the current uh, climate for equities and everything else, I think definitely stand to have a lot more upside there. Uh, CVS, an interesting amount of dark pool prints. Uh, so a lot of value for me going long at the $5,000 price there, just like the TJX pick. The, this is a shot in the dark, swinging for the fences. But um, if I could spin a narrative for myself, we could definitely get some update about testing, finding its way to CVS uh, for COVID. Um, trying to be a little contrarian here. I'm going short square based on the run up. Um, that, that could go one of two ways. Either, you know, rotation comes out of payment solutions, which had been banging the last couple of weeks uh, into other sections like cloud uh, before it comes right back into payment solutions. Uh, or you're, I'm, I'm just going to get the timing all wrong on that one. Um, it did look like Square had a nice day, so I think you got a, a leg up there. Um, plain short Apple here, uh, just because we came into the week at such a ridiculous number uh, and with the run-up you expect that there's going to be some cool down there um, that's playing with fire shorting apple especially after scoring big playing long apple last week um, going with some value with uh, comcast the cmcsa ticker um, quite a bit of bullish call flow coming in last week don't know what the deal is there but great value at 4900 and for my bank buster pick here going short with tesla uh, looking for some profit taking potentially before uh, the split comes through but again playing with fire um, panned out well before but uh 
at least you can go in and double dip, make the same play twice here, which I definitely don't like doing trading. But when it comes to just making picks week over week, you know, you just keep firing the uh, the same same lineup until it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I've done the same thing in real daily fantasy sports, so it does work. Um, quick overview of my lineup. So I took CrowdStrike at ten thousand bucks. Um, I have a long love affair with the stock. I hold it in real life, and I want to hold it forever. Uh, cybersecurity, I think, is going to continue to be strong. Uh, Barrick Gold following Buffett, and uh, you know, big uh, big fan of precious metals and the miners. You've obviously had this thesis for a long time. Texas Instruments also long, uh, kind of a bargain here at sixty one hundred. I think the semis continue to catch a bid. Um, I got two shorts, uh, Moderna, which I'm actually really worried about this one. I I didn't know about this pick ahead of time, but Moderna seems to kind of have lost it a bit in the race uh, for the first you know, major mass-marketed vaccine that seems to go over to the Oxford uh, AstraZeneca group. Uh, ExxonMobil, short. Um, you know, energy, I just think, continues to be this hated space. And I actually went long Apple. It seems like this stock just defies gravity. Um, continue to think the outlook is pretty sweet. Have no intention of ever selling it uh, in, my, in real life. So those are my picks for the week. I'm excited for another battle um, coming off a loss this previous week. So hopefully I can uh, take you and Mike B out and uh, be the victor this time around. Yeah, and anyone else uh, listening to this, love to see your picks as well. Give you a shout out on the show uh, if you can unseat the reigning champions here. But um, the only thing I got to say about that lineup, Ben. Yeah, I was, was going to say, uh, if the soundboard were a stock, I'd be buying that all day. You continue to improve that thing a ton. So uh, yeah, keep the good sounds coming. Oh, just just saying that uh, we continue to reinvest profits here at Impervious Capital to bring you better products and services week after week. Love it. Yeah, just keep keep uh, investing. You know, compound interest is the strongest force in the universe. Uh, so it will also prove true with the soundboard. Um, great podcast, buddy. Uh, any closing words for the listeners? Yes, I will also reinvest profits in a better internet connection so that doesn't drop out too much. Until then, happy trading. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com. Thank you.